Welcome to another episode of the Peak Performance Selling Podcast, where we interview top sellers and sales leaders to learn the different tips, tricks, and mental strategies that they use to create sustainable peak performance. Let's get rolling. Welcome to this week's episode of the Peak Performance Selling Podcast. Super, super exciting guest for episode 99 today, Kevin Dorsey, uh, also known as KD. This guy, if you're not following him, if you're not paying attention to what he's talking about, you are missing out, whether it's the rave reviews you see from folks in pavilion courses talking about sales leadership and management to his incredible presence on LinkedIn, talking about not only how do we become better sellers, better leaders, but all around better humans. Also, you can check out his podcast that is a fantastic, fantastic resource for anybody in sales or leadership, live better, sell better. So for all those folks that that listen here, you know why I'd want to have him on. Uh, a couple accolades that, that you may have heard if you uh, run into the name KD, Salesforce, top sales influencer to follow, inside sales, top 10 sales leader, pavilion lecturer of the year, ambition, top 100 sales coaches, sales law forever star, uh, LinkedIn sales star, I, too many, too many to name, but this guy is so gracious for uh, joining us today, sharing some of his insights, knowledge, and wisdom. So, Katie, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Hell yeah, my man, long time coming, but now I feel like I should have held out for the century mark. Like, how do I get to be 99? Like, now I'm like, you know what? Oh, I got to cancel this one. Have me back after the next one so I can claim that triple digits. I know. Well, I think 100 is going to be a recap episode anyway. So that's why Mm -hmm. we got to like hit the crescendo here for you to be on 99. (laughs) I'll take it. I will take it. So, Katie, I I always love starting out understanding, you know, how did you think about or what is a really impactful experience for you throughout your life that, that changed how you show up? You've led so many different teams. Like what, what's something that's happened through your life that really changed or impacted how you lead and show up? I mean, I think life, it all accumulates, right? Like it's almost hard to be like, oh, this is like a moment where I'm like, oh, like, like it, it clicked or anything else. But I think if I think through my, my life and going through things, there's two things that stand out. I think one is pattern recognition of like, I pay attention to patterns. Now, I don't know if that means I'm on the spectrum somewhere. Who knows? Maybe I am. I have no idea. But like, pay attention to patterns and like how people actually do things and what seems to work and what doesn't go in through. But like paying attention to like what seems to work in certain areas and what doesn't and being willing to change. But then the other part of it is paying attention to the people, the people patterns. How do people act? How do people make decisions? How do people communicate? How do we make our choices? Why don't people change? Why do people change? And so really over my career, more and more of my focus has shifted to studying people over studying sales. And then that has translated into better sales and better leadership. So I think those are the two big ones that stand out to me the most. Oh, I think that's so, so interesting because for me, and I think this is also something that part of your podcast is, you know, live better, sell better. I think the more that we can understand humans and natural human psychology, the better we're going to operate as sellers, as leaders, 
because it's all around how do we communicate, how do we interact, and how do we show up, drive value for others. And so being able to recognize patterns, being able to understand people makes a ton of sense. I guess I'd be curious, like, what are some of those patterns or what's an example of a pattern that maybe you see that most leaders don't see when they're working with teams or most sellers don't see? Fear. So if you think about why, let's do something as basic as a cold call. You know, you ask yourself, why aren't people making more calls? Almost everyone knows the underlying answer to that, which is fear. They're afraid. If you weren't afraid to pick up the phone, you'd pick up the phone, right? There's a fear element, for example, of like when you really ask yourself why people do or don't do things. So let's talk about fear. If you remember that it's fear, it changes how you handle it. Because if you understand that it's fear that's holding someone back, how you address that is different. Where a lot of leadership, it's like, oh, just work harder. Oh, just get over it. Oh, just pick up. If Y'all, if it were that easy, we wouldn't have this problem. So when you actually get down to, okay, they're afraid of something. Well, what are they afraid of? Well, there's fear of rejection. Well, how well are you preparing them for that? There's fear of missing their number. How well are you preparing them for that? There's fear of judgment. There's mm-hmm. fear of all these things. And when you start to address the underlying fears, that changes how you lead. Whereas what happens actually is you have an individual that's afraid of something on one end. They're afraid of missing their number, which then causes them to be even more afraid to do the thing that they're supposed to do, make the dial. But then as a leader, a lot of leaders then lead by fear. If you don't do this, you're going to go on a plan. So now we're just amplifying the fear factor within it. So I think like that's an example of something that not a leaders think about. But on the flip side, it's too, it's like, again, you ask yourself the question, why don't people do what they're supposed to? You can go to the AE side. Why don't they run disco the right way? Or why don't they follow up the right way? And if you really ask yourself those questions, okay, like, well, why wouldn't someone do what they know to do? Okay, well, that takes you, you go, well, do they actually know to do it? Well, how do I know if they know to do it? What does it take for someone to know something? Well, it needs to be taught. Was it actually taught? I don't know if it was actually taught. Did I coach them on it? How much, it starts to take you a different path. Where again, now, like even on the AE side, most sales reps don't get nearly enough coaching and repetition. I'm even close. And then we wonder why they don't do the things that they do. So I think those are just a couple of examples of like asking the right questions tends to get you to a different type of answer. That's really, really cool. Especially as I think about a post, I think it was maybe like a week ago that you had where so many people look at courage or fear is not having any fear or being able to run into a situation. And I think your post was like, the goal isn't to be fearless, it's to fear less, to be mm-hmm. comfortable dancing with that uncomfortability and knowing that that's really where true courage comes from, is not saying, oh, I'm not afraid of anything, but saying I'm afraid and I'm going to do it anyway, is mm-hmm. something that I think is so powerful in, in that vein that you're talking about of as a leader, as an AE, how do we help support folks to say, it's okay to be afraid, it's okay to have anxiety or nerves, but here are some tools on how to now get through that or, or dance with it opposed to be paralyzed by it. And, and the key to that, though, when it comes to fear is you have to have a reason to lean into it. 
And that's just another layer of leadership. Like I literally have this tattooed on my chest. I says, courage is not the absence of fear, right? But you have to have a reason to lean into fear. Like if you're afraid of something, right? Like if I'm walking down the road and I see a snake, there's a snake there. Well, I'm afraid of that snake. But do I have a reason to do anything with that snake? Probably not. That'll cross the street. I'm walking down the road with my six-year-old daughter next to me. And a snake lunges out. I'm still afraid of that snake. But now I have a reason to address that fear. There's something more important than that fear. And that is my daughter's safety in that situation. And so if you bring that back over to like sales and leadership, same idea. Most people don't have a reason to lean into the fear. Right? They don't know why they're doing what they're doing. They've never set goals. They don't have a bigger picture that they're chasing where it's like, you know what? It's worth going into this fear because it's going to get me closer to this other thing that I want. And that's why goal setting was such a big part of my teams is like, you need to have a reason. Because if you're looking at that phone and you're like, ah, like, I don't want to do that. Versus you're looking at that phone going like, ah, I don't want to do that, but I really do want to get that down payment for my home. I really do want to retire my family. or I really do want to take that vacation. Now you have a reason to lean into that fear, right? And so I think that's missing in a lot of teams as well is like, we want them to overcome their fear, but they don't have a reason to, right? And if their reason to overcome fear is a different fear of losing my job, then we wonder why people don't actually do it. It's, it's so good. It's so true. And I think that's the one of those things that so many sales leaders miss is this, well, what is actually meaningful or relevant to you that would get you motivated to do that? The whole like dial the phone more, create more deals and opportunities is messaging from leadership is what I think most leaders do, but so short-sighted into, well, what actually drives these people? Because we all know like, yeah, if I pick up the phone more, if I send that next email, if I find that next prospect, I'm going to make more money. I'm going to have more success in my role. But still, most people don't do it because of those underlying motivators and reasons. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You talked about goal setting and doing this with your teams. I'd love to hear you know, some, some stories or, or some ways that you think about doing this. I've seen you talk about like working backwards a little bit. But talk to me, how, how do you think about setting goals maybe for yourself even, or for a team? Yeah. So, I mean, it, I, so I, two times a year, I take my entire team through goal setting, January and July, every year. It's a two-hour exercise. Entire team, off the phones, off whatever, no demos. This is every year, two times. Because also, too, like we set goals at the beginning of the year, and shit changes, right? Like people, everyone like set goals at the beginning of the year, and they're in the drawer somewhere, you know, like three weeks later, and that's it. So we do it two times a year because six months, you can still accomplish a lot in six months, right? All right, you got off track. Let's get back on in July. We don't have to throw away the year. Like, let's get back on. So we did it two times a year. And the way it worked, right, is we first talk about what goals. And there was main buckets of goals. You know, you have health, you know, wealth, and self. Those are the three main buckets that we would set goals in, like a health goal, a wealth goal, and a self goal. And then looking at those goals, right, looking at like, what's the keystone? Like, what's the one? Like, what's the one that will actually have the biggest impact on your ability to do the others, right? Mm. So for some, that might be a self goal, right? So for me, actually, for like a year, this was 
gosh, four or five years ago, my number one keystone goal was a morning routine. If I had a good morning routine self goal, that would help me accomplish my health goal and my wealth goal. So that was actually my keystone goal was establishing that morning routine. Maybe it, the wealth goal is number one, because by hitting your wealth goal, that will allow you to, you know, hire the personal trainer you want for your health goal and to move, you know, out of your mama's basement self goal, right? So you get one in each of those buckets. You define what's the one that will have the biggest impact mm. on the other goals. Then from there, the next question that you ask is who would you need to be to accomplish this? So everyone wants to talk about what they want. The next question is, who would you need to be in order to accomplish this goal, right? How would this person act? How would this person work? How would this person think, right? So we go through who would you need to be? Then we go to, well, what changes? So by accomplishing this goal, what changes? All right, you want to hit half a million in income. Great. Why? What changes? What will this allow you to do that you can't now? What will that give you access to? How will you feel, right? Because one of the, and we talked about this even in sales, right? Nothing changes if nothing changes. So a lot of people set goals, but they've never mapped out like what's going to change by hitting that goal, right? So we go through a what changes exercise. Then we go through like the opposite. And this is something I learned about two-ish years ago now, maybe up on three is like, what, what doesn't change if you don't mm-hmm. mean like, what will you have to continue to deal with? Doesn't this sound a lot by sales, by the way, just as a side note. All right, y'all. Okay. But like, what, if you don't change, what will you continue to have to deal with? Like, what are you tired of now that accomplishing this goal will allow you to get away from, right? So this is the first part. It's all about what the goal is, who you need to become, but then why? Why do you want mm. this goal, right? I can't remember where I read it, but it, like I've loved it. It's like the number one reason why most people don't accomplish their goals is they don't have a reason why. And I've always loved that because it's true. It's like, oh, I want to make 200K. Why? Um, I don't know. Oh, I want to get in shape. Why? Oh, more energy. Why? Uh, like, they don't have a reason why to do it. So we wonder why we don't actually accomplish it. So that's the first part is the what, who, and why. Then we get to the second part, which is the how. How are you going to accomplish these goals? Right? Because that's the other place most people fail. Okay. I'm going to get in shape. And like, what's, what's the plan there? Right? And so what I walk my team through is called three by threes which is what are the three things daily, weekly, and monthly that if you commit to would give you your best chance to accomplish that goal. So let's use, um, we'll use exercise as an example then we can get into money, right? So say like, all right, exercise, I wanna lose 20 pounds. Okay, well, what are three things daily that if you did would give you the best success or opportunity for success to accomplish that goal? Mm-hmm. Now, what a lot of people will put there is exercise. No, no, no. That's not the three by three. A three by three would be something like put alarm clock across the room, have my workout clothes at the end of the bed the night before, and 
text my accountability group at 5 a.m. when I'm out. Like those are three things in your control that if you did would make it more likely you go exercise, right? So what are three things daily? Then you get, what are the three things weekly? Three things weekly that if I did would make it more likely for me to do it. So I could prep my food on Sundays. I could, you know, I don't know, like watch a motivational video. Like you, you pick these things, but this is now we're mapping out the plan. Same with like income. All right. I want to make 200 K. Well, in sales, y'all, first of all, you need to know exactly how many deals you need to get there. That'd be helpful. Right? Okay. Well, I need to close 30 deals. All right. Well, to close 30 deals, I need to run 120 demos. Okay. To run 120 demos, I need to set 170. Okay. To set 170, I'm getting 60 from my SDR. That means I need 110 on my own. Okay. To get 110, here's what I need to do daily, weekly, and monthly to get there. And you map out the how of it. And this is again, when people forget the plan, all plans include a who, what, where, when, and how much. So when are you doing these things? When are you doing these things, right? Like most people set a plan like this. If I asked you, I said, yo, Joe, how do I get, I'm in Texas right now. How do I get to California? And you said, go west. I mean. Right direction at least, but. You're not wrong. Like I could get there if I went west, but there's no plan. There's no directions actually there. So this is why this is a two hour exercise, by the way. And then the managers get to meet with the reps on the plan. Like, what's the plan here? And we can hold each other accountable to the plan, right? So when are you making these dials? Is it on your calendar? In order to make those dials, you need X amount of leads ready. When are you getting those leads ready, right? Like, so we map out the plan and then we go, right? So like, that's, that's the same exercise I go through with my own goals. I got my goals sitting right here in front of me. And actually what's interesting, I, even, I don't know if this is on, um, camera or not, but like I have my goals in front of me, but I also have my three by threes right Love there. Like I got my three by threes in front of me. What are the things I'm committed to daily, weekly, and monthly to accomplish it? So I've been going for a minute here, so I'll pause there, but that's the goal setting framework that I run with my teams. This is so powerful because I think for me, the whole premise of one and start this podcast, my business is around these things that school never taught us that are so critical to actually creating and architecting our best lives. And I'm guessing that's not a skill or a practice that you learned in, you know, grade school or going to get a degree, I think for like kinesiology, it's probably, probably didn't come from that. Absolutely not. <laughs> so I, I want to go back. You mentioned one of those big goals for you a couple of years ago was the morning routine. I'm always curious and maybe it's changed as you move towards a little bit more consulting and training now versus, you know, sitting in seat as a VP of sales. But what's that ideal morning look like for you? How have you gotten your routine to the point it is now, as I'm sure there have been different iterations and changes to it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I've talked about this publicly, but like I created an acronym called GERMS. Um, and that's, that's the morning routine that I try to follow. So GERMS, G is gratitude. So every day, you know, working on gratitude, what am I thankful for? Right. And like always finding new things because most times you ask people what they're grateful for. They'll give you the standard, you know, friends, family, work, home, that, but like, no, like really think like, what are you grateful for? Right. Like what, what are things that like, if you really think about it, like, wow, coffee, like 
what farmer figured out how to grab, like, because the goats were going crazy to eat some of these beans and they figured out, well, to eat these beans, it's too intense. Maybe we put water through it. Like someone sat down and figured this out so I can have coffee today. Like grateful for even just some of the smallest things. So the G is germs. E is exercise, right? So some sort of exercise, whether that is, you know, just walking, lifting, you know, incline trainer, like some sort of exercise activity. R is reading. I just like to read 10, 15 minutes um, every, every day. M is meditation. And like that one's, you know, changed a little bit like meditation or breath work. Right. But like mm. some sort of just like in the moment present type setup. So that's meditating or breath work. And then the S stood for sauna. Right. So like getting into the sauna is one of my favorite things um, to do, like in the morning. I don't can't do it every morning, but like that. Would, so germs is what I try to follow. And it actually doesn't take that much time to do. Right. But getting in any time when I do it, life is better when I don't. I don't. There is a direct correlation. Like even right now, like I've been off my game for the past. Honestly, I'd say almost like two months I've been on the road. I've been traveling, I've been speaking, right? And so like, I haven't been into my routine and I can feel it, you know, like I can feel it. And so I'm excited, you know, to try to get back into that going into the second half of the year. Cause I do, we all fall off y'all. I fall off too. Nobody is perfect, you know? And so getting back on and funny enough, it's almost July, which is a perfect reset time to say, okay, I'm back, right? I'm about to go on vacation. And one of the things we're doing on vacation, my wife included, is a goal setting exercise, right? Okay, we're in the second half. Here we go. What greatness can we create? So that's that's my morning routine when, when I'm on it. And that's what I'm actually looking forward to getting back onto here very soon. It, it's really interesting. One, thank you for sharing that because having that nice simple acronym is so powerful. But I was actually in Austin a couple of weeks ago I was feeling just crappy once I got back. I didn't sleep a lot, had a lot of fun with friends, as was the intention of the trip, but came back and was like contemplating my life and was tired and angry. I'm like, what do I need to do with my life here? And got on a call with my coach and was like, yeah, I'm just feeling kind of fried right now. And he's like, well, have you been doing your routine? Have you been, you know, doing the things that kind of fill you up that, you know, help you feel great? No, I haven't. He's like, well, first things first, like don't ever contemplate your life when you're in a crappy state like that, you know, get out of that bad state, like do those things that fill you up because after you have that time to practice for a year, a couple of years to feel, here's what it feels like to feel at my best every day. Well, then you start feeling like, oh, something's not right here when you get away from that routine. And so I think there's so much power in saying, how can I take control of how I want to show up and not just live by the whims of whatever the day is going to bring. And uh, I love the morning sauna. I, I've been doing an evening sauna since we got one, mm-hmm. but they have wanted to get it in the morning. You, so you work out and then you hit the sauna. Is that kind of your, your ideal setup? Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. I'm, I'm going to play with that one. I'm going to play with that one. Uh, so there was another post that your LinkedIn content is just so fantastic. And there was one that you wrote a little while ago that talked about time spend versus mind spend. Mm. And I'd be super curious to hear you riff on that a little bit, because I think so many sellers and folks, as they step into a leadership role at first, think like, oh, I'm spending my time 
on the right things or I'm spending enough time and it's all going like I'm doing everything I should be doing, but they don't get the results that they exactly want. And so I'd love your thought, maybe from a, a new leader perspective, like how do you think about time spend versus mind spend? So it goes a couple ways, right? The first is honestly, we will spend more time thinking about a problem than the time it takes just to solve it. Like truthfully, as leaders, and I've talked about this a lot with my managers, you could hit any of them up and they'd be like, yup, like we heard this from him all the time. It's like, oh, like this is broken or oh, like this sucks. It's like, so what have you done about it? Like actually done, right? Actually, I'll, I'll tell this story. I won't name names. I'll tell the story. You know, for, um, some of my, my, my managers that, you know, I no longer like lead the team right now. Um, you know, they had reached out there. Something happened. They were frustrated about it. Right. So I, you know, frustrated about it. And they're like, yeah, I had to go take a walk. Like, I can't believe that happened. And da, 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 and this, that, this, that, and the other. Right. And so they're kind of like getting it all out. You know, I hit them with, they, they call it like the, the KD pause. Right. It's like, okay. Like, so what have you done about it? Like, I'm not here to talk about what happened and whether it's right or not, but what have you done? You had to go for a walk. You went and had an event session. Now we're in this session. Y'all had a little all-hands meeting afterwards to talk. You haven't even done anything about it yet. You've spent more time thinking about it, mind spend, than actually the time it would take to go fix it, to do something, to correct it, right? So the first part of that whole idea is like, are you taking time to correct things. More often than not, we don't actually take time to solve problems. We take time to think about the problems. We don't actually take the time to solve them. That's the first part of this is like take action more often than not, right? Like my, um, my, my team would know this. And these are things that I, I talk about it, but I live it and you can verify it if anyone wants to. It's like, I spend very little time thinking about things. Like, and what's funny about that is like, I'm very quick to, I'm very strategic. I will strategize, I will research, but I don't spend a lot of time thinking about mm. it. Like once we've decided to do it, we're gonna take the proper steps. I'm gonna do what I need to feel in a good position, but then we're gonna do it. Like I'm not gonna spend time thinking about it. Like we're going to go, which then flips it to the other part of your question though, just making sure that we're spending on the right things. Right. And so one of the things I'd ask my managers and leaders all the time, IIW, IIW, and they hated it, but they got it and they understood it. And IIW stood for, is it working? Is it working? Right. Like, oh, like I'm doing, like you, you mentioned it a little bit in the question, like, you know, I'm doing all these things, but I'm still not getting the results I want. Okay. So is what you're doing working? No. So then you got to change something with what you're doing, right? So the IIW was like where to spend your time. I'm doing all these things. Is it working? Well, no. Okay. Then we need to change your time spent because where you're spending your time is not getting you the results that you want. And so that was where I worked with, I would think truthfully with my managers the most is trying to help them prioritize focusing on the right things, not all the things. And we would talk about this often. I said, one of the biggest differences between y'all and myself as a leader is y'all stack and I chop. You look to add things. I look to remove things. What should I not be spending time on? What is not getting me the results that I want? I'm going to stop doing it 
and find something different. So that was the concept of time spend and mind spend is like one, make sure you take action. Don't go for a 30 minute walk and not also spend 30 minutes solving the thing that occurred. Right. And the flip side is constantly ask yourself, is what I'm doing working? If the answer is no, you got to change where you're spending your time and spending your mind. It's that simple. That's great. Especially, you know, as we connect that back to goal setting, I think so many folks set goals and think like, oh, it has to be set in stone. This is what, it's okay. Things can change. And mm-hmm. we can look and say, is this working or not? No. Okay. Well, what do I need to do differently to show up better? And that's, I think, one of the most beautiful parts about being a human is we have this ability to reflect and decide that we want to show up or change what we're doing. I can I think use a perfect, perfect example, I think, around the goal setting. So this was 2021, yeah, 2021, at the beginning of the year, I set a goal to, you know, hit 12,000 steps a day for the year, right? So that was one of, one of the goals. But again, defining the why is important. Why did I want it? Like for stress relief, for creativity, for like health, you know, um, some weight loss goals that I had, right? So I had these goals and I went 278 days straight with that goal until I stopped. 278 days straight. Right. Actually, I would turn my camera. I had a little under treadmill, a desk treadmill, right? So I could be walking during meetings. Like I was committed to it. I was walking in place some nights because I wasn't at my steps yet. So I was walking in place to get there. Like I was committed to this goal. 278 days, I stopped and I stopped on purpose because it was no longer serving me. Mm. Why I had set that goal it was no longer working. I was not getting the stress relief from it. In fact, it was starting to become a stressor. My body had plateaued in terms of its response to it, right? It was used to it by that point in time, right? It was starting to become a burden, which was the opposite of what that was designed for. So I intentionally stopped and changed based on what I actually wanted. I didn't want to walk 12,000 steps. I wanted the stress relief, the creativity, the time out, like solo time, thinking time, and all that, or what are other ways to get that? And so I could change the goal to get the actual end result, right? Because a lot of people are like, oh, like you were so close, you might've finished it, or oh, like you, you quit. Yeah, I did. And it was the right thing to do because it was no longer working. So I think that's just a very, like, I think tactical advice, like example, people go like, you don't have to stick with something, but you need, it's not about quitting just because it got hard. It's like, is it giving me what I actually wanted? And because that had been defined from day one, you can better answer that. Just like, Oh, I don't want to do this anymore. That's not what it is. It's why you wanted it. And if there's a better way to achieve it. Man, I think that's just such a good example for folks to be able to say it's okay to realize if you have that why, if you understand what is moving you towards this goal, and that stops serving, it doesn't align, it's okay to pivot, to iterate from what we're doing, to say, okay, well, now where do I go from this? And I also like that piece that you called out a couple of minutes ago about opposed to stacking and adding, how do you chop, you know, how do you remove, how do you get to those key principles, those first principles that say, yeah, this is what really drives me. This is the absolute must-have necessity that helps me move forward. That is really, really cool. So I always love understanding, you know, how do folks bounce back? So I'm sure, you know, the amount of sales teams you've lead, managers you've worked with, uh, they haven't all had perfect months every single month, blowing it out of the water. 
What do you give in terms of advice to new leaders if, let's say, their team you know misses for a month or a quarter? How do you help them think through that? So the first place that I actually help my managers focus there is understanding why it happened. Right? The most stressful things, truthfully, in life is uncertainty. Right? I'm okay missing if I know why we missed. If I know why we missed, okay. It's if I don't know why we missed that the stress really comes in. Because if you don't know why you missed, then you don't know what's not working, which means you don't know how to come up with a plan, which means you don't know how to fix it, right? And so the first place is diagnosing why did the miss happen? Because in order to bounce back, again, something has to change. And again, most people are like, oh, I missed my quarter, I missed my month. And you go, cool, like, what are you going to change next month? And then we don't even have an answer, right? That's what causes the stress. And that's also what prevents the bounce back because nothing changed, right? And so that's the first place I started. It's like, you need to be able to diagnose why. Why did you miss? Was it process-based? Either people did run the process and the process didn't work or they didn't run the process. Which metric? caused it was a connect rate, conversion rate, show rate, qual rate, deal size, close rate, sales cycle, right? By the way, real quick, y'all, almost all revenue problems exist in those seven metrics. Like it's in there. It's in there. Okay. Was it which one held you back the most? Okay. Well, yeah, our close rates were low. Why? Was it how we ran our demos, what were our demo scores, was it the accounts we were targeting, right? Like you start to work, I have a full process for my manager. We have a full issue diagnosis checklist of like, if this, then that, if this, then that, let's look at what's causing the miss. And then, because what that does, y'all, when you can stand in front of your team and go, hey, we missed, but I know why. That already creates a little bit more confidence of like, I know why we missed, right? I know why we missed. We did not work enough leads. Based off the math, if we work 80 leads, we're only going to get 20, right? There are absolutely times that I have stood in front of my team after like a miss and be like, we deserved this. I'm not, I'm not mad. I'm not mad at you right now. We got the results that we deserved. We earned this miss. We earned it. We earned it by the things that we were doing. We shouldn't have done any better than this, right? This was where we missed. We did not accomplish X. But then now, again, the bounce back, how? How are we going to address it, right? So for, for example, like I talk about this in like the courses I teach right now, right? Okay, leaders talk about the what. What do we need more revenue? Awesome, because it's that easy. Oh, whatever. More revenue, more pipeline, more dials. That's all what. Good leaders get into the why. Well, here's why we need those things. And ideally, they can tie it back to the individual's why. Not my why, not the company's why. Why does Jordan need to do this, right? Why was Jordan? But great leaders get into the how. Okay, so we need to bring our close rates up. Why? Because if we can bring our close rates up, 
just from the demos we're already getting, you're going to close three extra deals a quarter. That three extra deals a quarter is going to mean X, Y, Z for you. But even that's still not good enough because it's not in the house. So how are we going to bring close rates up? We're going to go back to the closing boot camp. We're going to focus our role plays on the disco call section. We are going to be doing call reviews on a weekly basis to make sure that we have the leading indicators of the skill. And we're going to eliminate the bottom 30% of opportunities that we know never close for us. We actually found out that these close at a 10% clip. We're going to stop focusing there and go up. That gives clarity. Clarity gives confidence. Confidence creates momentum. That's how you bounce back. You can't bounce back if all you're going to do is wake up and say, I'm just going to work harder this month or this quarter. That's, that's not what it is. It really isn't. So that's, that's how I address the bounce back. Diagnose why it happened. Diagnose why that happened. Come up with a plan to address it and execute. Oh, that's, it's so good. I, I really love that thought too. Of like we earned this miss. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not the traditional sales, like I'm going to point a finger somewhere else, take that extreme ownership, take that accountability, and then be able to say, cool, now we can pack through those metrics, those key seven metrics that you're going to find most of your challenges in and say, oh, here's the spot that we need to put a plan into place for to move forward. Because there's also been places too, by the way, where I've stood in front of my team after a miss and been like, I'm proud of y'all. I'm proud of you. Like, we did what we were supposed to do and we just didn't get the result this month or this quarter, but we did the right things and we dove in and we listened to the calls and we looked, the activity was there. Our calls were there. You did the right things. It just didn't work this month. But if we keep doing it, what do you think is going to happen next month? Right? And you, bl- you blow out the number because you've been consistently doing it. So there are times that I've stood in front of my team after a miss and been proud. And there are times we've hit the number and I've been incredibly disappointed because of how we got there. How, yeah, we got there, but some like whale deal came out of nowhere. We had bickering and moaning throughout the entire month and we got lucky, right? People can vouch for this. I literally put my entire team on notice one time after hitting the number because I was so disappointed in how we got there. And I was not going to like allow, like what you allow, you encourage. I was not going to allow revenue blindness, where as long as you hit the number, everything's okay. I put the entire team on notice after hitting the number because how we did it was not okay. And I was not going to allow that to continue. Damn. That's, uh, I don't know if I've heard that one too much. That's probably why a lot of people love learning, listening to you. The last question before we hit a couple rapid fire ones, it couldn't be more timely. You had another back to awesome LinkedIn post this morning talking about burnout. You know, this is one of the big topics that I talk about with folks that you've been leading the charge on for a while talking about, you know, how do we support ourselves? How do we create the conditions to sustain peak performance, which is what I'm super curious about. And you talked about being really surprised about how, you know, being at home, all of a sudden you're like, oh, I thought like it'd it'd be okay, but it's actually gotten worse for so many people trying to manage how do they show up at their best day in, day out, whether they've got kids at home that they're, we're hitting summertime now. So there's a new dynamic in there. Daycares were closed, all these other things. We're not together in person. 
So can you talk to us about some of the things that you've done or coach teams on to help try and combat some of this burnout stress uh, within teams as a whole? Yeah. I mean, I think just like so many things, right. The first step is just awareness, right. Just being aware of it, right. Like it's, it's different with all the perks that, you know, it's so funny to me, right. As you talked to like all the perks of working from home, I was like, it's work, you know, work from home, remote, all this, but also we're going through the great resignation at the same time. When everyone was all remote, and we go like, well, but remote's supposed to be the best. Like, then why are people leaving in such droves, right? Why is mental health becoming a bigger and bigger issue, right? Like, those, these are all the things. Again, we got to think about, like, is it working? We really need to pay attention to those things, right? Because sometimes what we want is not necessarily what we need, and there's a difference there. And so the first thing is understand that people are burning out. Because like we are just always on this. There is no separation of church and state right now, right? Like it is, you are in it all the time. It's harder to have boundaries because you are working from your home, right? It's harder to be present because there's so many distractions that are now available, right? Like the amount of multitasking that now happens remotely is like, if we were meeting face-to-face right now, There's no multitasking. You wouldn't pull out your phone while I'm talking to you. You wouldn't pull up Slack and email while I'm talking to you. That happens in every single meeting across the country right now, right? And so it's understanding these things of like, this is different and it's harder and we're adjusting. But then it's also then looking at, okay, like, well, again, what's causing that burnout? Always being on. Always being on causes that burnout. Okay, well, then intentionally do the opposite. I want you to unplug on Friday. I literally want you to unplug on Friday. I don't want to see you in Zoom, right? And even I I went full circle on this. There are meetings where I want your camera on. There are meetings where I could care less. Hmm. Early on, it was like, camera's on, everybody. Come on, I want to see those faces. Now it's like, hey, this is a meeting I need you. Like, I want to see you. This is one, turn it off, turn it off. It's okay, right? It's leaning into that, giving people like flexibility with, you know, when they are working, right? Because like, again, like kids wake up, that disrupts everything in terms of like when you can or can't do things. Getting people outside, right? It's not everyone has, and again, as a leader, we, you know, leadership and sales, you always have to put your prospect hat on. You always need to put your salesperson hat on for just a second. VPs of sales out there, CROs out there, put your SDR hat on for a second and go, okay, I'm 23. I've got three roommates. Rent has gone up 30 some percent over the last two years. And I'm working from my kitchen table or my bedroom corner. Put that hat on for a second and go, how would I make that better? Put that hat on and go, man, in the office when I got rejected, I could at least look at you and be like, yo, like that sucked. And Joe be like, yo, let's go for a walk and talk. Now I'm sitting by myself and I get rejected, right? Put your sales rep hat on for a second and go like, how is it to sell this way? And when you start to think about that, you go, geez, like I need to make sure people are getting outside. I need to make sure people are sleeping well. I need to make sure people are taking care of themselves. I put that in the post today of like, that got added to our one-on-one doc. How are you taking care of yourself this week? 
How are you taking care of yourself this week? Not what happened last week. What are you proactively doing to take care of yourself this week, right? Because we're all learning how to work this way. I think also people forget that. This is still new for the vast majority of people. This is still new. We're learning how to do this. No one's taught us how, right? Back to one of my earlier questions. No one's taught us how to work remotely like this. No one's taught us how to balance work and life and family and relationships. No one's taught us how to deal with the isolation that this has caused, right? And so it's finding ways. I'm trying to remember the company. I think it was GitHub. Don't quote me on this, but their CRO spoke on this because they've been remote like from the GitHub, GitLab. So I'm pretty sure some of the Git. I don't know which one yeah. it is right now. Um, they've been remote like from day one, but something that they mentioned, like it took them years to figure out was one of the number one qualifiers for hiring someone. And I love this. The number one of the number one, where if you did not have this, you were, they probably don't hire you no matter how good everything else is, is how strong your social circle was in your neighborhood. Hmm. Wow. And I love that because it makes sense. You need a social and support system around you. And if you weren't involved in clubs, if you weren't a part of a league, if you didn't have hobbies that regularly brought you together with other people, they didn't hire you because they knew you were going to burn out because in the office, you have that natural social circle, right? So establish. So these are all the things you need to think about of like, man, like how do I make it easier for people to work this way, right? So like, those are just some of the things I threw there, but we did visualization sessions, we did meditation sessions, we did breath work sessions, we, we brought in people to talk about sleep. I was literally looking at like bringing in like a hypnotherapist for my whole team to like, not to hypnotize them to do their job, not that, like to work through the stress of all the things that we we're dealing with. So it's just being proactive around these things and it, it makes a huge difference. There's so many good examples in there. And, and they're also accessible too in this day and age that I, I think so many folks try and push that off. But even hearing you kind of talk about, yeah, bring in a hypnotherapist for the team. And it's not like, go sell more, go do your job more. The intention is to your point in your whole podcast, it's like, how do we help you live a better life? Because you will then sell better. You will be able to operate at whatever you want to do better, more effectively if you have these foundational tools. This is so good. I got a couple rapid fire questions for you. You've actually threaded some of them in along the way. So I want to start with what's your favorite interview question for a new manager? Favorite interview question for a new manager? Walk me through an individual where you improved their metrics and thereby improved their results. Love it. Clear, action-oriented, results-oriented, and that's what you're going to have to do in the job. I love it. What is one of your favorite qualities that you've seen other leaders bring to the table that you try and emulate? Ooh, um, in, intentionality. Intention is my favorite word, right? The best leaders to me are very intentional with what they're doing, whatever it is in that moment. They have full intention with what they are doing. So intention is what I really admire about, about like strong leaders. That's, that's huge. Uh, I'm going to steal one of your questions that, that you had in that post today. Uh, what was the last thing that you did to, to bring yourself some joy? Who last thing I did to bring myself some joy. I was in New York city 
And I went to a cigar lounge where they were doing live Sinatra music. And I went by, by myself. I, I was, I, no one came with me. I figured out that the subway and all those things, but like, I, I got to enjoy a whiskey, a cigar and like a live, like Sinatra performance. And I just had, I had a blast. Like that, that was something very joyful for me for sure. That's huge. And last one, you've got some cool posts on this. So we may dig them up, put them in the show notes. What does success mean to you today? Impact, you know, like, Success to me today means impact. I am trying to impact hundreds of thousands of reps by impacting tens of thousands of managers and leaders, right? Because, and we've talked about this, the better the managers and leaders are, the better the sales team is. And I think a lot of sales coaching and sales training takes a bottoms up. We're gonna try to make the reps better, but no one's impacting the, the managers and the leaders who, again, were never taught how to do this. I never took VP of sales 347 in school, right? LTV to CAC 172, right? Like no one taught us this. We're figuring this out. So like impact is how I'm defining success right now, you know, professionally and personally, freedom of time spent, freedom of mind spent, right? Like I will probably work to my dying days. I enjoy what I do. I enjoy impacting people. I enjoy coaching, teaching, training, building, creating, problem solving. I enjoy those things, but I want to have the freedom of time spent and mind spent. Where I spend my time, where I focus my mind, that's success to, to me. That could still be working 60 hours a week, but my mind spending time spends on what I want, or that could be working 10 hours a week and my mind spending time spent is on where I want. So that's what success looks like to me personally and professionally. That's awesome. A little different than I think the early days when it was like, yeah, I want that new Benz, whatever it mm -hmm. may be. Uh, and that's okay. It's, this is how we evolve. This is how we grow and change and develop. So Katie, I mean, the amount of nuggets dropped in here for folks anywhere along their career path is massive. There are a lot of ways that people can get in touch with you, learn from you continuously Talk to us. Where, where do folks find you? Where, how do you want folks to, to track you down? So, I mean, definitely the, you know, my own podcast, Live Better, Sell Better. I have a Patreon group called Inside Sales Excellence, where there's a lot of trainings on how to do this. The goal setting exercise is in that Patreon. It's a full hour 15 with like a workbook and everything. So I'd say the podcast and the Patreon are the best places to get a little bit more info. And I appreciate you having me, man. Uh, this was great, Katie. Thank you. Thank you so much. We'll link off to all the ways to find you in the show notes. And until next time, let's go make today great. It's thanks to help from listeners like you. This podcast can continue to grow and help others. If you found anything helpful in today's episode, please take a second, share with a friend and leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast today. Thanks.